Kate, owner of 123, a business dedicated to supporting leaders who want to be their best selves every day. Because your employees deserve a leader who does their best. Leading is hard work, but the chairs here at 123 are comfy. We're wrapping up our bittersweet inspired conversation. In this third and final installment, Michelle and I found ourselves drawn to the concept of a creative offering, the fact that we dwell in impermanence and what this means for leaders. You will hear us discuss personal and professional learnings and land on what we can do to uncover purpose. So welcome back to the comfy chairs. Please have a seat and join the conversation. As I was listening to this, because I read the book and then I listened to the audiobook when we drove yesterday. So yeah. I did it. So I did it twice. Look at you. But anyway, so yeah, it's just been, it made me cry. And I mean, I read the book largely in air, in the airport. And so I was like, <laughs> like no. crying in front of all the strangers, you know, like wiping my eyes. <laughs> yep. So yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's very touching and the stories are really moving. I mean, when she, when she talks about, and I cried when I read it when the up the inside out thing and she mm-hmm. said, you know, fear had nothing to teach joy. Just that line was like, yeah, yeah, fear has nothing to teach joy. That is right. And also the story of the stuff about her mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so I always, you know, this is kind of where angels fear to tread talking about leadership and parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they are there's so much to learn from one to do the other. Sure. Um, both directions, right? Yeah. I becoming becoming a step parent changed the way I led. Oh, sure. Because I, you know, there were so many things I just didn't know about little kids and how people need certain types of direction. Mm-hmm. A leader's lens. There's a lot that it can tell us about how to be better parents and probably how to be better children. Too. Right. For sure. Yeah. I th- I, yeah. I thought that her um, compassion and and forgiveness of her mother was sweet. Yeah, it's it was very sweet. That definitely made me cry. the The stories and and the mm-hmm. uh, just the the experience of her mother as being almost two different people. And I think that I would say as a parent, and you would probably acknowledge this too, because you've had you know you've been a stepmom from like an elementary school age child to now a teenager and you are a different mom from the time that mm-hmm. they're either born or they're like elementary school or and I can remember having this experience when my oldest was I don't know probably nine eight or nine and I told him to do something and he said you can't make me and I remember like starting to argue and then I thought I I actually can't make him like he's he's almost as big as me and mm-hmm. or at least tall and I remember thinking I'm I have to change my style like I got to figure out a different way to to do this Mm -hmm. and I think that's the lesson for leaders and again not that our employees are children but when we look at someone and we're and you know we've heard this mantra people just need to come in and do their jobs I just I just wish they would come in and do their jobs well I I wish that my children would do what I said when I said do it that they would do it immediately mm-hmm. for their whole lives but that's not realistic. Totally not. And so I think you know just come in and do your job is um it's on the leader to say what do I need to do how do I need to lead for this person to do the mm-hmm. job that I need them to do. Yeah. And I realize that feels like a lot of work but that's the work of a leader it in is. my opinion. It is well I think about 
talking about Susan Cain's example, her mother essentially betrayed her trust Mm -hmm. until she could get to a place in her own life where she could, she could understand her mother's hurts, you know, start to kind of connect the pain her mother experienced from being the child of Holocaust survivors. Mm, Right. It's not that it made her mother's behaviors okay, but it gave her space to be able to forgive. Right. And I think lessons for leaders in this is we sometimes have to, you know, sit ourselves down in somebody else's seat and understand their pains to be able to forgive them. Because there, you know, again, there is mundane suffering in the workplace again. And getting through that takes a lot of forgiveness of each other. You talked about being upset because your your kids won't do what you Mm -hmm. tell them to every time. Well, sometimes employees don't do what they're told to do. Right. And we have anger. And in place of that anger, we need to find forgiveness Mm -hmm. so that we can have this healthy, trusting environment. Right. I can think of a few of my employee relationships where, you know, employees deeply hurt me with what they did or didn't do. Right. And, you know, I'm not saying I was I was deeply personally injured because he didn't complete a report by the deadline. Right. But just behaviors and attitudes Mm -hmm. toward me. And it would be very easy to say, well, I'm the leader. I just need to buck up. No, what I needed to do was work through the fact that I was injured in some way by somebody whom I wanted to trust. And if I could not forgive, I wasn't going to be effective. Yeah. And I do think that's that's that moment where you look at that person. I mean, of course, you have the performance conversation if you need Mm -hmm. to or whatever. But to forgive that person, you you have to have that Rebecca and Ted Lasso moment around the boardroom where you look at it, you look at that person and you and you see them as the eight year old Mm -hmm. that may or may not have been wounded themselves and acknowledge that's who they're bringing to the workplace. And how can I forgive and have as much compassion on this adult person as I would if they were a child saying the dog ate my homework. Mm -hmm. Right. I have kept and I, I keep it on my phone now a picture of myself at about the age of six or seven mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've seen is, that picture yeah this is something a therapist recommended right. to me yep so that when I'm being really hard on myself and we could have a whole conversation about perfectionism yes we'll save that for later but when I'm being really hard on myself I think about that you know seven-year-old version of Kate how would I treat her in this circumstance yep and just to kind of come back to that, start with yourself. Yeah, exactly. In a case where I feel hurt by an employee, what part did I play? Was it was it me or was it the little kid that got hurt? Yeah. What do I own? How can I forgive myself for what I've done or not done? Right. And then how do I need to act toward this person? I think forgiveness is a really good topic for leaders. I've observed, witnessed, and experienced leaders that I would say hold a grudge Maybe, oh, yeah. maybe against me, certainly against others, because many are willing to talk about it. Yeah. And they seem to have these really long memories. And I, and I think that it's, it's a leadership competency that we don't talk about a lot. I agree. Um, but people mess up. Right? People mess up. They make mistakes. People lie. They cheat. They, you know, we well, all do these things, right? You know <laughs> my motto, right? <laughs> Everybody's a liar and a cheat. No, no. People are awful. People are awful, right? You, and you have to love them. Exactly. Love them anyway. All of us. Yeah. And and, and sometimes people are wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. And we're but people are both. And so I think that one of the things that happens when leaders find that 
person they really connect with that young that new employee or that that new potential you know person yeah they get really enamored it's often somebody outside of the organization and they're going to be amazing and you get this false I think a lot of leaders get this false sense that like this is this person's perfect Mm -hmm. and so young people often are promoted you know they get this rise they're the superstar and then then they do the thing because the people always do the thing right right and then all of a sudden, like the leaders say, well, what happened to that person? We thought they were the shiniest of shiny. And all of us are are dulled at some point. And mm-hmm. and I, I've seen I mean, you've seen it, too. You know, young people's careers just fizzle because because you came in presenting as the shiniest object. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're kind of dimmed. And yeah, well, you're you're right. It's you've got to forgive people for error for being for just being human Human. yeah yeah because people because again people it's where the people work where where where's there going to be leadership failure oh where there's leaders yeah (laughs) but i think you what you want or what i would want you know for anybody that worked for me is the the feeling of oh i've made a horrible mistake and i'm not going to have a black mark against my Mm -hmm. name right there there may be consequences to my error depending on what it was but they will be just commit you know commensurate with the error and then we'll move on yeah so many organizations and so many leaders are just willing to write somebody off because it's like they forget about their own mistake clearly well this is the whole i'm 50 years old kids these days right yes like have you have you forgotten about the very first time that you had to go in front of the board and you weren't prepared yes apparently you have Yes, you've you've apparently forgotten and that you were put it once out of your mind. inexperienced and kind of incompetent. Yeah, right. As we all are when mm-hmm. we start. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if we if we can't acknowledge our deficiencies, there's no way for us to move forward. I right. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. And it's again kind of coming back to this idea of things being sweet and bitter at the same time by embracing the the not nice parts it makes the nice parts better right um you know okay you're not competent here but what are your strengths i think i think i could argue i could make a case and it wouldn't be too much of a stretch that a leader who understands bittersweetness is a leader who can effectively manage people through their strengths that we say, yep, you're not good at this, but here's a part that you're wonderful at. Right. And we're going to focus on the wonderful. I will not let the not great become a problem for you or for us, but let's focus on what you're amazing at. Right. Right. And I think that the other thing is having that balanced view of, of the organization as a whole, um, and not just the individual people, but the organization as a whole as having both, the season of onion and the season of honey, right? Yeah. Is that just, what she, is that what she, is that the term, the season of honey and the season of, or the, the time of onion, the time of honey, right? That's the bittersweet. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I couldn't remember. I'm like, that's just beautiful language. I'm so enchanted. <laughs> well, it is. It's the, it's, and organizations have that, right? Not just people. Yeah. Um, But organizations have a time of onion, a time of honey, right? That they all go through a, a time of, it's not so good. And then a time yeah. when it is so good and, and, um, and the longing is to always get back to the honey, right? That's the longing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And and there's this profound lack of acknowledgement of the onion. Yeah. So well, one of the things one of the things I wanted us to talk about, primarily because of your background and expertise, was about the implications of a bittersweet mindset for change management. Mm. And when we're in the season of the onion, how do we how do we guide people through that effectively without being like, no, we have to have all honey, all honey, right. ignore the onion. Well, I think that the inclination during change and I'm working on like a tech implementation as many changes are, that's a part of it, right? As you're implementing some kind of an EMR or a mm-hmm. ERP system and the, the guiding thought around communicating to the people that are going to be the recipients of this change, whether it's the process, the technology, and most often both, the guiding kind of conversation around the change is tell them the benefit. You know, tell, we got to tell them the benefit, like the, how this is going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my job as a change management leader and expert is to remind people, but it's also going to harm them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not going to harm anybody. Well, it they'll feel that way. Yeah, they will have loss. They will have loss. And so we have to acknowledge with any change, there is both onion and honey, any change, right? Mm -hmm. Even the change that you want, even the change that we're paying a, you know, bazillion dollars for, even the change that is going to ultimately keep us in business, which is why you would do something like this. And leaders regularly do not want to talk about that. They're, they're afraid of they're afraid of the negative. They're afraid of the bitter. Mm-hmm. That's the bittersweet. And that is the, as a change management expert leader and practitioner, I feel like that is the constant uphill battle with leaders. And if, if leaders listening to this don't hear anything, I want them to hear change requires us to acknowledge the bitter and the sweet. Yeah. It It is bittersweet. And the hope is that it will be, Extra sweet on the other side, maybe, but you have to acknowledge both. I think so much change fails not because, oh, we didn't make the benefits clear or we didn't do whatever, but because leaders do spend time and energy focused on those wrong things that they're trying to persuade people to make the change. Mm -hmm. And that's, leaders are not there to persuade. I mean, that's what, marketers do right 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 a leader needs to be very clear about this is our reality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. here's what's difficult right now we've made the decision to move this way because we see sweetness in that mm-hmm. direction mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy or we're pr- we predict that it's only going to be this difficult these are the behaviors and actions that we all have to take to get from here to there. Mm-hmm. This is by when I need you to do that. Right. What I feel a lot of leaders do is they spend all this time like, oh, what's your frame of reference? And, you know, what's in it for you? And this is what's good. And here's what we're going to gain. They ignore the bitter. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, why aren't they changing? Why aren't they changing? It's like, because you haven't told them what you're going toward. Right. You're just talking about it's going to be good. Right. You're not talking about here's the reality of it here's how I need you to behave and you're not setting reasonable timelines around the space of resistance. Right. Right. Because you and I've talked a lot about, you know, that, that formal def- definition of resistance, but I, I think it's, 
it should be celebrated when it starts. Right. That's the moment where it's like, good. You know, I need you to be different. Yes, exactly. That's Thank exactly you. right. Thank you so much for resisting. Right. Now, let me tell you how much longer how, right, the how business can, can afford for you to resist right. the right channels for it and the professional behaviors around it. Leaders want to, they don't even want to see bitter. And I think that what's important about the word bittersweet is it's one word. Yeah. It's not two words. It's not bitter and sweet. It's mm-hmm. bittersweet. It's one word. Yeah. Um, and it is, and, and humans in bittersweet reality are both. Mm-hmm. They're, they're experiencing, we are always all experiencing both bitter and sweet. Mm-hmm. Life is bittersweet. Yeah. Well, have you, have you watched The Good Place? I have. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They talk about this. I'm not going to, it's going to be a horrible paraphrase, but because we know we're going to die, we're all a little sad sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we're we're all a little sad all the time. Yes. Yes. And the truth of that, if you don't let yourself acknowledge your own sad, then you're not acknowledging other people's sad. And right. you miss out on that shared enjoyment of life's impermanence. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I think the same is true for leaders, right? Because not only, of course, we're going to die. But we're also not going to always be the leader. I mean, right? people have to retire at some point. I mean, exactly. sometimes you die on the job, but for the most part, <laughs> it, right? I mean, hopefully you don't. But some people do. Some people do. But we all know at least one. We do. We do. But for the most part, you know, I don't think enough leaders also have that moment in the boardroom when they're leading the meeting to be like, this isn't this isn't always going to be me sitting in the seat. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if they do, it's more like I got to get out of here versus I need to prepare and we can call it succession planning, but at the end of the day, it's it's impermanence. It's impermanence mm-hmm. as a leader. I'm not the permanent leader because nobody yeah. is. Right. Well, it's even, so one of the things that she talks about around impermanence are the rituals that help people. Like she talks about, you know, bar and bat mitzvahs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Yes. that there are, these moments of transition can also become moments of transcendence mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. if we create the right rituals around to acknowledge the sorrow that comes with change. Yeah. The bitter. And I think there are so many missed opportunities in the workplace to ritualize that transition. When people have the opportunity to promote, when people have to move, mm-hmm. you know, we we live in a military community. Yes. It's a highly like mobile population. People are coming and going all the time. Mm-hmm. from our community so neighbors coworkers, you know fellow students are constantly in and out of right you know of our lives and do we have rituals to support ourselves mm-hmm. and get to the next phase right. and i think i i know as a leader i don't have muscle around this i would i would like to eventually be better i hope as i you know grow i have the opportunities to become wiser and do this with more intention. Right. But there are so many transitions at work. Not even just like not just the big changes that we miss out on the opportunity to create better connection, community and understanding. Right. By not having moments to acknowledge yeah. the changes. No, I think that's very real. And I, I think about the, you know, we've talked a lot about the pandemic and the people that, you know, go home like you you were sent home because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't know how this spread and 
we wanted people at home. And for some of them, they never came back anywhere. Right. And so there's no, there was no ritual of like, now you're going to work at home and you're going to, here's, here's kind of your setup to be at home. It was just Mm -hmm. figure it out. And, um, and now and the same is true. Now we're asking people to come back. And in many cases we've sold the building, it's being turned into housing. We're having quote hotel space, which I, you know, I come into, I don't know what, like basically a desk and a cubicle, Mm -hmm. but I can't, I don't have anything, can't bring anything because I can't leave it there. But the last person probably left like a coffee cup. (laughs) Right. Exactly. With some moldy cream in it or something. (laughs) Yes. And I, and we are not, we're not doing a good job of um, preparing people for transition, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, of any kind. And um, yeah. And usually when you end a project or you end something, it's like, well, let's go have a dinner. This is this last mm -hmm. person's last day. And yeah. Well, I think of the yeah, best laid plans too. Mm-hmm. When we were both working in the same department and our whole our whole like division, all of the corporate services were moving. Yeah, building to building. Yeah. Yes. And yes. it was, you know, we had a beautiful plan. We did. And then the air conditioning broke. Exactly. Yes. And it, throw the plan out the, yes. the window appropriately because sure. people could not work in that yes. environment. Yes. And instead of saying, well, we can't do this whole big, beautiful transition plan, what can we do? It was just, nope, just get people moved just over. Just move them. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a reality. That's, it is. That's it the is. way things happen in life. You make up, you know, the best way to make God laugh is tell him your plans. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly and, right. And I, I do think as an organization, we missed out on being able to provide people yes. with some message of, this didn't go the way we wanted it to. Right. And there are parts of this that are still going to be kind of icky. Right. Right. Well, and I think that that's the message I would, I would want leaders to hear as well around that, that concept is this might not be your inclination as a leader to um, provide an ushering of people to the next phase that, mm-hmm. that, quite honestly, isn't always my inclination. I am a, I'm a Gen Xer or whatever. It's my personality. You are very, you are very pragmatic. Yeah. Like let's get it done. Let's move, you know, um, I don't need a party. I don't need a, you know, whatever. And, but I think as a leader, I think the most important thing, or I won't say the most, that's an important thing for a leader to remember is that people need different things. What do we need to do to make sure this goes better than better, better, right? Maybe not just great, better. just better. better. Yeah. Let's yeah. just go for better. Well, that's, yeah, I think that's commonly a problem is it, there's this all or nothing. It's a very binary approach. It has to be perfect or we're yeah. not going to do it. Yes. And sometimes it just needs to be better. Yes. Yes. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. I had a thought and I want your reaction to it. Do you think one of the reasons that leaders don't think about some leaders don't think about forgiving their employees is because they also don't think about asking for forgiveness for their mistakes. Yes, I think that's exactly correct. Again, it's that anger versus sadness, right? Like this person didn't perform and I'm mad about it. And so I'm telling the person that I'm mad about it and then I'm going to hold a grudge about it because I think they're now a low performer, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Versus I had an expectation that this person perform. They didn't perform. That's a performance problem. 
but as their leader who has a relationship, it also hurt me. Mm -hmm. And so I have to address the performance issue, but I also have to forgive the the pain that it caused me. I don't think leaders acknowledge that it caused them pain. That's what Mm -hmm. I think. And then I also think that conversely, you're exactly right, that I make a mistake as a leader. Maybe someone points it out to me, but I don't ever... I say, oh, I'll, I'll change then. I, You're right, I'll work on that. But I don't ever move into empathy of, I made that mistake as a leader and I hurt somebody. Yeah. And so I'm going to ask you for forgiveness. You, there's an acknowledgement of the, like, I performed badly. Same thing, right? It's a performance issue. I performed badly. I'll work on that. Versus I performed badly because I have a relationship with these people, it also caused them pain. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. Have you ever had a leader ask, like apologize and ask for forgiveness of you? I've had a leader apologize. I've not been asked for forgiveness. I've had a leader apologize with excuses. I'm sorry. I, I forgot I was supposed to do that. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry you felt that way. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is my that's favorite. my favorite. Yeah. yeah. But yes, so I have had, I have had people apologize to me. I haven't had people acknowledge and that must have hurt you. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, please forgive me for the pain that caused. And I have had leaders hurt me where it did cause me pain. And I, and I don't hold that against them now. I mean, I'm not like, I do forgive without being asked. Yeah. Um, But that's like, we, people that do that, do that for themselves. Sure. It, it, and I don't mean selfishly. No, no. Like yeah. it is the it is a healthy thing to sure, do to yeah. get forgiveness. Yeah, I'm not walking around holding a grudge or or thinking that people are bad. I don't think that I think that most people are good and bad. Most of us are just trying as hard as we can. I know, exactly. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or barely sometimes. Right, right. Or we're not trying at all and I we're know. like I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel oh. seed now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, okay, compassion. Let's talk about compassion and empathy and bittersweetness. For sure, big leadership skills, competencies that are necessary. And I also think as a leader, I want to have those. I want to have compassion. I want to have empathy. I had a therapist say to me one time, though, as I have these moments where I, I just, I don't want to work around or with certain people because they're not kind. They're, they don't, they're prickly. And I said to this therapist, you know, I feel bad because I am a person of compassion and empathy and I want, and I want to, you know, be willing to work with all people, regardless of how prickly, unfun, et cetera, mm-hmm. they are. And he's, because, because I, and I said, because I acknowledge that these people behave this way because of their wounding, right? They've been wounded and mm-hmm. and I want to be compassionate about that. And he said, well, I, I appreciate that. Like, it's not their fault is what you're saying, right? It's not their fault that they behave this way. And I said, yeah, and I, and I want to be compassionate about that. And he said, well, think about a rabid dog. Like, it's not the dog's fault that it has rabies, but you're not going to go pet it. Yeah. And I was like, fair. Well, and honestly, I mean, frankly, sometimes those people that are prickly and mean and unpleasant have made a decision to be so true it's not just i'm a rabid dog it's i went out and i found rabies right right because it works for me it's gotten me promoted it's Mm -hmm. gotten me rewarded right yeah right yes yeah well i mean you've heard me say this more than once you know i don't fault people whose bad behavior you know it got them they were rewarded for it before and they keep doing it i don't fault them for that because right it benefited them right 
I fault the system or the leaders mm-hmm. before them who rewarded it. Right. Who celebrated it and promoted it. But when but when they get the feedback, when they become aware of, hey, you're not fun, you're a jerk, you're prickly, right. you fill in the blank, and they make no change, then right. the fault is theirs. Yes. Yes. And I do, I would say where the compassion comes in is when, and you know, we experienced this in some of the training that we got when the leader, you know, as coaches, like we're getting trained to be coaches, to be executive coaches, when the leader is told this is no longer working for you and, and their blinders come off and they realize, wow, this worked for me for a lot of years and now it's going to take me down. Mm -hmm. What helped me, right? that's where my compassion comes in and and I will engage with that person. Um, And I want to, right? Because the same is true for me when I discovered like the thing that you do that you think is just normal for you doesn't work for you anymore. I better do something about Mm -hmm. that. Right. So I want to offer that same kind of compassion, but yeah, if you're not, if you're a leader and you, you've heard that feedback and you choose to ignore it, I don't, I don't want to work with you. And, and you can still have compassion from a someone, distance. <laughs> well, for somebody that has not found the, the capacity and strength to change. Right. Because that is, it's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. The willing, the, the unwillingness or the inability to see. Yeah. 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 Well, y- you've said this before. It's a blind spot because it's a blind spot. Exactly. You can't I know. see it. I know. Exactly. And we shouldn't fault people for blind spots. Right. But when, but when you know, then you are responsible yes. for making a decision about it. Yeah, exactly. Is it Maya Angelou who said, we, we do what we do until we know better. And then when we know better, we do better or something. Mm-hmm. Or we at least should. Some yeah. kind of paraphrase of that. All wrote about, you know, before they had the law, they didn't know. Right. Yes. I mean, she talks a lot about all the, mm-hmm. the um, religious writings and even some of the ancient mysticis- mm-hmm. mystic writings. Yeah, mysticism. Mysticism, yes, thank you. It is fascinating. It is fascinating. I I actually didn't realize she kind of defines mysticism and I didn't realize it it was um or at least it was viewed by the religious community as people trying to like by bypass the religious leaders and go directly to God. Like that was kind of how that's kind of how she defines it a little bit. Yeah. I, I think it's a fascinating you know we talked about anthropology earlier and sociology. I think it's fascinating that nearly every major religion has a branch of mysticism. Right, right. And it's one of my favorite quotes about kind of human nature comes from a mathematician, Blaise Pascal, who was a Christian. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what he said is, in the heart of every man is a God-shaped vacuum. Mm, mm -hmm. Which I think definitely ties to this longing. And, you know, he was coming from a Christian perspective where he was talking about a Christian God. But I think regardless of what people believe, we have a space that we don't always acknowledge that's longing for something. Right. There is, there is a vacuum and nature abhors a vacuum, right? Right. Right. What we have to do is fill that hole. Yes. And the question and the kind of our test, our trial is with what are we filling it? How do we fill that space? Yeah. Yeah. How do we fill the longing? Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. And I love in Kane's model that we fill the longing by creating and giving. Yeah. Yeah. Creative, creative endeavor, creative offering. Yeah. Creative offering. Yes. And it's the longing that provides the space for the creative offering. And it's the creative offering that provides the healing. Yeah. I think that's the loop. Like that's the loop. I am intrigued in her writing about her self-proclaimed agnosticism and Mm -hmm. then, you know, what that means, the implications for her around this, um, especially having grown up as an Orthodox Jew. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah, that is an interesting there. spiritual journey. It is. It's a very to, interesting to, spiritual yeah, journey. And grateful to have her share it because it, it does make you, well, depending on the type of reader and learner you are, it can make you think about your own experiences for in sure. that space. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I love the concept of the creative offering, like, mm-hmm. um, because it is, it's a, it's like, it's a thing, a creative offering is a thing that pours out of you because of your longing, right? It's the thing, it comes, it's, it's an organic, um, come to my house, let's meet up, let's, you know, let's Mm -hmm. gather in this conference room and create this product. Um, let's talk about, you know, how we can advance this work. So I think of what else in the book I wanted to highlight. Is there anything else you wanted to highlight? Oh, I think we've, we've covered so many interesting things. We have. Yeah. This book, this book had a lot of good conversations about musicians. I mean, Uh it started out with the whole, you know, the cellist in Sarajevo. Yeah. Um, And then her love of Leonard Cohen. mm -hmm. Yes. But that whole, like, I'm going to listen to a sad song now. Yes. Well, yeah. and yeah, that's the premise or the the start of the book, right? Is just why do I, why do I feel? And that's one of the questions in the quiz. Why do I feel, or do you feel uplifted by mm-hmm. sad music? And um, I don't, I, I wouldn't say uplifted. I don't know how I define that, but I would definitely say I have a swelling in my heart. Like mm-hmm. that open heartedness happens for me with sad music. And yeah. certainly, you know, Leonard Cohen. I don't like Leonard Cohen's version of Alleluia, but I do like the word. I like the song. The Katie Lang version, maybe the version. The perfect in my one. Books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rufus Wainwright. That's probably mm-hmm. one of the ones that I. Yeah. Well, you know, Nate is somebody that has that physical reaction to music. He does get goosebumps. Mm. I realized recently that's not the sensation I get. I get this like little knot under my sternum. Interesting. I get a lump in my throat. Yeah. Like I, I physically feel a lump in my throat and then, then it, the tears will come. It's, it's a, it's, Mm -hmm. I tear and I get that. I went out to Utah in uh, April for like this hiking thing. Oh, nice. And I'd never been to, it was South west utah so near like kind of near arizona um stunning red rocks Mm -hmm. um but also like sandstone and sand and lava rock i mean it's just a fascinating part of the country there were times when we would we would be heading to these hikes and so we were in a van together and we would come around i don't know like a pass or something and then the view it would take my breath away and 
there were at least three times in that week where just the visual of seeing these mountains and the landscape would put a lump in my throat and I would I would cry. Yeah. And and that was just nobody saying anything, just the visual of it would do that for me. I I actually thought in my head, this is what I've been longing for. Like the that concept of longing, like this is this is mm-hmm. and it's one of the things, clearly, just the beauty. Yeah. I I think most of us are wired to experience that in nature. Mm-hmm. I can think of some man made environs that have done the same thing to me too okay so like what being in london the first time mm. that i got to walk on tower bridge that sense of a small person in a big world um a short life in the history of the world chihuly glass does that to me too i can see that art, yeah but art museums um i like glass and pottery those are yeah. two art forms that i really enjoy I'm, i i don't have that feeling around paintings i know a lot of people do i have not had that experience i don't know why Trying to remember the name of this one impressionist painting does it for me. There's just something about this moment it's captured. Yeah, it's Carnation Lily Lily Rose. Huh. Who's the painter? Sergeant. John Singer Hmm. Sergeant. Hmm. It's it's the one where the young girls are lighting the paper lanterns. Oh, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, so lanterns, paper lanterns, Mm -hmm. young children. Yes. Flowers. Yes. There we go. It's impermanence. It's, it's it's impermanence in a painting. It's children. They'll never be that age again. Yep. It's this fleeting moment, you know, twilight. Oh, yes. gosh. One yeah. time I was being driven home after a babysitting job and, you know, the dad was taking me home. He got to the end of his driveway and said, hey, look at this and turned off the headlights and they lived right across from a field and it was a light. It was like a million fireflies oh wow yeah i love that yeah and so that's been 30 some years now i remember that moment yeah this father gave me this gift right right this moment of beauty that that will never happen again this is a really cool thing but you know there are the nature gives us that and sometimes human beings manage to recreate it too Mm -hmm. and i think you know since we're talking about leadership i think leaders you know what what that father did for you. We have an opportunity as leaders, as the work goes along to have that moment where we stop, turn off the lights and say, look what we did together. Yeah. Right. We have that opportunity and we so rarely take it Mm -hmm. because we move on to the next thing. Right. Which, which is most, if, if not all people would normally just drive by that field because they've seen it before. It's Mm -hmm. like, it'll be there tomorrow. She can see it another time. Right. Yeah just moving on but I think we have an opportunity to give people and organizations that gift to say we're going to stop we're going to say look what we did um respite yeah yeah exactly respite do we take that moment to catch our breath breath to to acknowledge what's come before and prepare ourselves for what's to come right and is a cruel irony of it is that so often we see it as a waste of time Mm -hmm. when the energy and the focus those little moments can give us right makes up for any right any quote-unquote lost time yeah well and i think we have to stop telling ourselves that it it takes too much time and again having to make Mm -hmm. it be perfect you know, yeah. right. 
Yeah, perfectionism is an evil in the world. It is. It really is. And I think according to at least Kane's maybe one of her thoughts is it's it's kind of like a special brand of it in the United States. Like it's not mm-hmm. this is kind of cultural that we have as as Americans, the rugged individualism and uh, I mean we didn't even touch on the winners and losers. Oh, I know. Concepts. No, I know. Yeah, that was that somehow, you didn't. know, if you if you aren't successful, you're morally flawed. Mm-hmm. Like what a horrible thing we've done to ourselves with that. Well, and it, again, it goes back to the the sports thing, right? You know, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose, and we're going to gloat about it or we're going to cry about it or mm-hmm. whatever, as opposed to just being like two two teams came, they both did their job, somebody scored more points than the other, and mm-hmm. we're all moving on. Yep. So let's celebrate the people that won. And thank the people that lost for exactly. coming out to play. Exactly. Well, if we think about, you know, talk about Ted Lasso again, you know, the the one episode where they come out and play against Man City and, you know, it's just, there's a hot mess left, right, and center. Yes, yes. And he's congratulating, you know, Ted goes to congratulate the other manager. Mm-hmm. And the two of them meet each other on the field like equals and mm-hmm. friends, even though that's the only exchange they have with each other. Right. And right. they both know what really matters is the young men we're working with. That's right. Off the pitch and on the pitch. Yep. Yeah. And that's what I think is. And and I think that as leaders, you know, that's another thing is I want, I, I want to, the folks in my charge or whatever language we want to use, the folks that are in my sphere of influence, I want them to have a quality experience and be quality people in the workforce and out of the work, you know, out mm-hmm. of the workplace, in the workplace and out of the workplace. Um, yeah. Well, you're the way you talk about being a parent. I'm so glad that I got to encounter that before I became a stepmom. That the job of parenting is to put cool people out into the world. That's right. I believe that. I absolutely and believe that. The job of leading is to help cool people do their best. Right. Exactly. How would you summarize the reading? How would you summarize the research? For me, there are two things that stand out. Well, maybe three. I'll go with three and we'll see if I can keep it to just that. I'll say I have a personal takeaway, an intellectual takeaway, and a professional. Mm, okay. The personal takeaway is as somebody who shares that bittersweet sensibility, it was a very affirming book for me. Mm. A lot of what she described you know, that that kind of resonance and poignancy is something I didn't have the language for before. It it just felt very like, okay, here's somebody that has experienced some things in the world the way I have. So I'm very grateful to the book, to Susan Cain, for putting something out in the world that acknowledges folks like us. Um, intellectually, I really liked being exposed to the broad range of academic disciplines, religious thought, and that she was able to make the case for the fact that this is part of the human condition through that, that there, you know, there's psychology and neuroscience and even faith-based studies that tell us people long Mm -hmm. and it's not a flaw. In fact, it is possibly the key to us having not less sorrow but more connection Mm -hmm. and then professionally it's given me a framework to think about purpose 
and specifically my own purpose while I'm trying to start a new business. What is what is the pain that I have? And I know we don't like to talk about pain in the workplace, but what's the thing that hurts me that can point me toward, that can be my North Star toward what I can do to make things better? So I don't have an answer to that yet. I think I have a sense of what it is. But the takeaway for me is I can use my sense of my my understanding and appreciation of the brokenness of the world that that is a sign and indicator of where I can do fulfilling work. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So those are my takeaways. Like, oh, thank you. You've seen me. Oh, I learned some stuff and made some new connections. And I have a tool to think about how to organize myself around purpose. I appreciate everything that you just said. And I, and I really, it resonates with me, your experience, because I've, I've been through kind of a similar thing. Been, um, yeah. And I would say for me, the takeaway is because I'm geeky like this, I'm going to use three P words. So Yay. the first one is, um, I would say I read the book and I felt a tremendous sense of permission to be myself Yeah, because I am someone who when that Cleveland Clinic video rolls and the people are, you know, the, the, she talks about that, the empathy video and, you know, I am going to cry. I'm going to cry every year when Peter comes home for coffee and makes the (laughs) Folgers. Yep. And I felt a tremendous sense of permission because that is, that is me living in the bittersweet. Mm -hmm. Um, so I felt a lot of permission. I also feel this permission to acknowledge that the, that my power is in that creative offering. My power is in the sense of community that I foster. And that is who I am in my work. It's who I am in my personal life. It's who I will always be. And there is a power in that that is worth something. So as a as an independent consultant, I have to get better at articulating the power that I bring is the acknowledgement of the sense of community necessary to advance the work. And because of those two things in reading this book and what's, you know, what's gone on in the last, you know, three years and for me personally, the last couple of weeks, um, I feel like I'm on the precipice of something. Yeah. I feel like um, there is this kind of launching off period. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to you about this because I haven't done that. I haven't done this kind of reflection in a while. And so I, I really appreciate that because I do feel this permission to be myself, the power in who I am as a person, and feel the sense of being on the precipice of something, whatever the next thing is. So mm-hmm. I would say in uh, in that summary to thank you for the opportunity to both read this book and talk about it with someone who is hella smart, enjoyable to talk to, <laughs> great conversationalist, ate, ate the bread despite you know the mistakes that were made. <laughs> I appreciate you. So thank you. It's mutual, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to borrow from Michelle's wise words to close. If you need it, dear leader, you have permission to feel all the feelings, both the bitter and the sweet. Remember, the things that move you point you to your power, what you need to be the leader your people need. And after a long season of illness, isolation, and disruption, we are on a precipice, ready to jump into what's next. I'm glad I'm here with you.
Thanks for joining me in the comfy chairs. And many thanks to my guest, Michelle. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating and review, or share it with others. You'll find comfy chairs updates and other thoughts on leadership and learning on Instagram at 123limited. That's O-N-E-2-3-L-T-D. Thanks again.